From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. The network of rail lines and canals that gave Waycross, Georgia, its name are now dividing lines for the community of about 14,000 people near the Okefenokee Swamp. For a century, the canals carried runoff from the rail yard and other local industries. Generations of kids roamed along the banks and swam in the southeast Georgia heat. In 2015, four area children were diagnosed with rare cancers within the span of two months. 16-year-old Lexi Crawford died from an extremely rare cancer on Memorial Day two years ago. Her mother, Christy Rice, is one of many Waycross residents who believe that chemical contamination in the canals may have created a cancer cluster in that city. But investigations by environmental agencies have reached different conclusions. Joshua Sharp, a journalist and Waycross native, has been investigating that story since 2016, and he wrote about it for Atlanta Magazine and joins me in the studio. Josh, welcome. Thank you. And Christy Rice is also joining us on the line from Waycross. Hello, Christy. Hey, how are you? Well, I'm fine. I know you just passed a, a, an anniversary, and I'm so sorry. Yes, ma'am. Yesterday marked two years. Well, thank you for being willing to speak with us. But first, I would love to hear a little bit from Josh about the history of Waycross for listeners who may not know the town. Give us a little bit on the history of Waycross. So Waycross grew out of a railroad hub that um, first started being built in 1880. And as it grew, the city grew around it to accommodate all of the workers who worked there and also travelers who came through going to Florida and, and over time elsewhere. The railroad yard is actually where Waycross gets its name. Mm-hmm. The, the, the saying is that it was where the ways crossed this way and that way would cross. Uh, after the railroad built up, Waycross became sort of an economic center for within at least 60 square miles. Mm-hmm. It was bumping. It, it, was, it was very bumping. In fact, um, a member of the British royal family once stopped through there. There's a there's a famous picture uh, of of him at one of the hotels downtown. But as time went on, particularly after the interstate system began, and I ninety five, you know, the famous uh, uh, north to south interstate, hugged the coast of Georgia. It didn't come quite as far in as Waycross was. So. Development follows interstates often. So a lot of things started to move away from Waycross. So over time, Waycross started losing its its position as an economic center in southeast Georgia. And in the past 15 years, it's been sort of bleeding residents every year. How about the canals, these canals that cross the city? Were they built in conjunction with the railroad? A definitive history of the canals is actually extremely hard to come by for some reason. Um, But some of them were put in um, to accommodate runoff from the railroad and other industries, including the the old power plant. I also spoke with a city commissioner who told me that he personally got out there um, back in, I think, the 60s with a backhoe and started digging another stretch of the canal because residents were complaining that their property was flooded. Uh-huh. You know, remember, this is in the Okefenokee Swamp, so the la- the land is very low-lying and, you know, we're used to worrying about rising water. Did you play in the canals as a kid? I never did, no. I, I sort of... I can actually distinctly remember um, my mom used to work for the American Red Cross, which at one of its previous locations was 
essentially on top of a canal. A lot of these canals run under buildings in Waycross. There's one going under City Hall, as a matter of fact. Um, but when she worked at the American Red Cross, there was a canal out front, and I used to think, man, I, I wish I could get like some kind of like a trash can lid or some sturdy cardboard box and just go through there like a fin or something, you know. <laughs> but but I but I never did. It was just a dream. Christy, how about you? You grew up in Waycross. Did you play in the canals as a kid? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. How about your children? Did they play or swim there when they were growing up? Yeah, Lacey did more than my other two girls. Lacey's my oldest, and um, she's a little more adventurous than my my uh, my middle child. Now, my baby's a little adventurous, but she's still too little to let her get too far, mm-hmm. um, especially after what we've been through. Yeah. So Lacey has um she. She's been all up and down the canals, you know, in the ponds out by the rice yard. So she spent a lot of time, you know, uh, riding four-wheelers and stuff like that through the area. Well, Lexi is your daughter who did pass away from cancer two years ago. How old was she when she was diagnosed? She was uh, 14. Yeah, just 14 years old. And you'd taken her to several doctors, several different hospitals before you learned the truth. Can you tell us about that process and how she was diagnosed? She actually had started complaining of back pain. Back pain was one of the symptoms, and it was the main symptom the whole time. Um, Within a month, a month and a half, maybe two months' time, we had taken her several times back and forth to... Her primary care physician, I even changed her primary care physician to a different doctor because I didn't feel I was getting the answers and the attention that I needed to get for her. I had been to our local emergency room, um, I know, at least 10 times, you know, within a three- or four-week period, probably more, taking her back and forth, and the emergency room, you know, was telling telling us that she had urinary tract infection. Then we would come home on antibiotics, and after that was over, she still had the pain. We would go back, and they would see that she had resistance to the antibiotics and that it had moved into, you know, it was a full-blown kidney infection at that point, you know, um, just different, you know, scenarios that way. They would send her home with more antibiotics and muscle relaxers. I was even pushed off a few times, you know, maybe like she was, you know, faking her pain. Mm-hmm. But it real, and it just kept getting worse. It kept getting worse. And finally, um, I went on my own and made an appointment with two different specialists, one in Douglas, which was a, a kidney specialist in Douglas, Dr. Reddy and Waycross Bone and Joint here in Waycross with, to look at her back. And those appointments were probably, after I made them, probably 10 to 15 days away. And not even five days after I made those appointments, she had a really bad episode. I actually had took her in the middle of the week to the emergency room and got sent back home. And then that Friday night, I think it was, she had a really bad episode, had gotten sick, and ended up in the floor, you know, couldn't breathe, her mm-hmm. lips were blue. And we took her back to the emergency room, 
and there was a different doctor we had not seen at the time. I actually was looking over her chart, come out and took us back, ordered a CT on her, and that's when they found the cancer. Oh, my goodness. Um, it must have been absolutely harrowing. But once it was diagnosed, Josh, what is what was the cancer that she was diagnosed with, and how rare is it? It was uh, something called rhabdomyosarcoma. This is a cancer that uh, essentially attacks muscle that's planted around bone. And it's extraordinarily rare. In the, in the United States, every year, only about 350 um, children are diagnosed with it. In the state of Georgia, according to um, state health officials, we only have about 14 cases every year uh, in children. And yet, Lexi was diagnosed. There were three other kids, children diagnosed, within the span of two months with other rare cancers, but not the exact same kind. Is well, that right? Well, two also had rhabdomyosarcoma. Okay, so there were three kids total with this extremely rare form right. of cancer in, in this, this area. Part of, in the, right, three kids with this extraordinarily rare cancer, all in this area of the state that has far less than 1% of the population. So yeah. statistically, it was just confounding. And, and it spread over quickly over social media about her diagnosis, about the other cases in the area. And people in a Facebook group called Silent Disasters started talking about a potential connection between these diagnoses and the canals in Waycross. What kind of things were they saying? Well, they worried about the canals, and um, some of them also knew about the pollution at the railroad, and they were wondering if, the, if there was some sort of way that, that these cases could be connected. There was a fourth child who was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma. Uh, a, a, Another bone a, cancer disease. A, right, that is also extraordinarily rare. And the members of Silent Disaster were, were um, you know, beside themselves trying to figure out what this was. In fact, Joan Tiber, the founder of Silent Disaster, she had for several years been trying to get people to pay attention to the pollution in Waycross and what she saw as the danger of it. But the sort of powers that be did not really start to take her seriously until she came to them and said, well, look, in, in the span of 58 days, we had three kids diagnosed with rhabdomyosarcoma in this area, and we had one kid diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma in this area. And by the way, one of the children, Lexi, who was diagnosed with rhab rhabdomyosarcoma, lived directly across the street from the railroad yard. Mm -hmm. And Christy, had you ever heard about or shared any of these concerns before that? No, I actually did not. I didn't have any clue that there had, there was contaminated property across the street. We've lived here for 15 years or more, you know, in this same house. We've lived in this area for 20 years, but this exact house, for 15 years or more, and I never knew nobody. I never knew there was contaminated property right across the street. Since then, you know, contamination has been a real topic of conversation in Waycross. How how about now? Are people talking about it now? It, it depends. Um, it, it's kind of something that you have to be careful bringing up. There's some people that get real defensive. They get really defensive about it. The the railroad is their bread and butter. They signs their paychecks, and some people are very, very loyal, dedicated to the city. And I understand that. I love my town too, but you know, um, I just don't see the 
the problem with, you know, looking to see what's going on is some people just don't want to talk about it. They they don't want to hear of it. They don't, you know, it's like a bad cuss word. You know, you just don't talk about it. Yeah. And then some people do want to talk about it and are proactive wanting to, to do something. They just don't know what to do. And then you also got people that are just nosy, you know, and want to start trouble. So it's just something you trade kind of lightly. You know, you, you just don't come right out and, you know, advocate. You have to be careful, you know, what kind of situation you'll find yourself in. That is Christy Rice. She lost her daughter, Lexi, to cancer two years ago. We're going to take a short break and continue my conversation with Christy and with Josh Sharp, who's been reported on divided opinions among residents of Waycross Ware County, some who suspect that there is a cancer cluster there, and those who support environmental agencies who have concluded otherwise. I'm Virginia Prescott. Stay with us for more on Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott, back with On Second Thought from GPB. My guests today are Joshua Sharp and Christy Rice, both from Waycross, Georgia, where some residents, including Christy, worry that environmental contamination may be causing an unusually high rate of rare cancer diagnoses in the area. Josh, these conversations of a possible cancer cluster are taking place with the backdrop of a real concerted effort at revival in Waycross. What is the economic picture of life in Waycross now? Well, the economy has somewhat stagnated. For the past 15 years, the city's been losing residents. And this is something that local officials are very concerned about. They want to make sure that there are enough jobs, there's enough amenities to to keep young folks there and keep them from moving moving away. So there has been somewhat of a halting renewal of the downtown area, but it has to come back a long way. Um, back when I was a kid, it was mostly abandoned, um, so they've been slowly trying to rebuild it. There are some signs that things are looking up in Waycross, but this investigation, these concerns sort of worry the local officials mm-hmm. that people will be um, less willing to invest in or move to Waycross. So clearly any talk talk of a possible cancer cluster in the area hurts this revival. How have town leaders and developers been dealing with those claims? Well, I'll give you the example of the mayor, someone who's very has been very involved in the discussion. He told me that he's read every report that there is um, from every investigation of the polluted sites in town. And all of the reports said that they could not confirm that they were getting people sick. Mm -hmm. So he takes that and he says, okay, we're good. You know, we're fine. And he does not want people to sort of drag the town's name down is is the way he put it. He told me, he said, um, you know, don't compare us to Flint, Michigan. And what he meant by that is that there were a lot of officials in the Flint case that ended up being criminally charged. With, you know, being negligent, um, I'd have to look and see exactly what all they were charged with. But he was basically saying, you know, we're acting in good faith. We just don't have evidence to say for sure that the contamination in Waycross is getting people sick. And we don't want to drag down the city's name without evidence that it ought to be dragged. 
Well, we did reach out to Waycross Mayor John Knox, who said that according to the investigations into pollution in the town, there is no cancer cluster. We asked if he could understand why some in the community were concerned, and here's what he said. Oh, sure. I would be concerned myself if I had a child who had contacted cancer and everybody in the community is, is concerned, but that's a different matter entirely than knowing what is causing the situation and what to do about it. Uh, people like me uh, are not environmental experts, and we don't have the answers or know what to look for, so we call on the state health department, uh, Center for Disease Control, and all the environmental agencies and ask them to look into it, which we've done uh, three or four times now, and every time they come back and say they can't uh, identify the cause for these unfortunate situations. Sure, everybody's concerned about it, but knowing what's causing it and what to do about it are two entirely different things. That was Waycross Mayor John Knox, who you spoke with for your story as well, Josh. But let's reel back just a little bit. This push for industrialization in the 19th and 20th century, in your words, this long lust for industrialization, (laughs) Waycross, Ware County became dirty. What do you mean by that, dirty? Well, I mean dirty in the sense that the ground is contaminated. Uh, There is a railroad yard there owned by CSX. It's, I should say it's now owned by CSX. And I should also note an NPR underwriter. Ah, okay. Uh, this railroad yard initially um, began in the late 1800s. From that, the town of Waycross grew. So it very much is the industry that gave us life, but now people wonder if the pollution that is there could be taking lives back. And it turns out it's not just the railroad that has polluted property. You visited several of these sites. Can you describe what was going on there or what had been going on there? Sure. Well, sort of the most striking visually is the Seven Outside. And and what the Seven Outside was was an industrial wastewater treatment facility. What they would do is they would bring in these gigantic tanks of wastewater from various industrial customers uh, they, their job was to to clean the water, to take out all of the impurities, and press that into a solid form, and then ship it off to a landfill. Now, regulators say that their process routinely failed, and they ended up letting contaminated water run off from their property. And because of a dispute with the city about whether or not they were doing a good enough job at cleaning up the water before they released it into the city's Mm -hmm. wastewater treatment system, the city and 7-Out agreed to cut them off of the city wastewater system. And because of that, 7-Out then left the site, and they left these gigantic tanks that had polluted water in them. And also, somewhere along the way, it just got really ramshackle. If you go there now, there's still all these baby blue pipes that are just busted and littered all over the ground. There's uh, strange muck on the pavement, you know, black and brown discoloration. And there are a couple tanks that are that are busted. You know, one of the tanks uh, memorably says permanently closed container. But, 
you could put your whole head through it. It's it's busted open at some point, somehow. We don't know exactly how. There is an old Atlanta gaslight property that is contaminated. There is a city-owned landfill that has environmental concerns. Um, there are a lot of different contaminated properties. Any of these still operational besides CSX, the railroad site? I believe most, if not all of them, are not operational. But even if any of them are operational, it's important to keep in mind that the railroad yard dwarfs them all in size. The railroad yard is 755 acres. It's the largest railroad switching maintenance yard in the southeastern United States. So it's a huge property. And CSX acknowledges that it is contaminated. And they've been trying to clean it up for the past 30 years. And I asked them how, how much longer it will take and they won't say. Well, the county is now home to nine of Georgia's most contaminated sites and cleanup is still ongoing at six of them. Now, the federal Superfund program remediates most contaminated land in the U.S. and Waycross has caught its attention. So what does that tell us about the seriousness of this contamination? Well, basically, the, the EPA comes in when it's something that is perceived to be an imminent a possible imminent threat to the public. So that's why they came into the seven outside, because it had, in the EPA's words, been abandoned, and there had been um, contaminated wastewater left there. And some people feared that it was getting into um, the city's canal system. We're talking hundreds of thousands of gallons, right, in, in holding tanks of wastewater. Sure, sure. So they, they, that obviously got their attention. It did, and they did a cleanup. And... Then after that, they, they, they decided that the cleanup was ses- successful. And a few years later, a local resident named Joan Tiber, who lived downtown, started having these strange ailments, um, sort of a cloudy mind. She had a mass on her leg. She, her doctor, she says, couldn't quite tell her what was wrong. So she started to wonder if it could be something in the environment one day after she saw some discoloration on the, on the ground outside of her home. And she looked up and she discovered this seven out site was not far from where she lived. And she traced the um, the runoff from that property and found that it had gotten into the canal system. And this canal system, I should say, uh, runs all over Waycross to, because the land is very low-lying. Mm-hmm. And it also carries runoff from the railroad. Uh, eventually it deposits into, into the Satilla River. On the way, it goes past tons of houses. It, it, it bisects a city park right downtown. So um, it's sort of one of the features of Waycross. You, you see them everywhere, these canals. And Tiber found that this runoff from the Seven Outside had gotten into the canal system. And she feared that that that, that had some consequences and, and got people sick. Now, that that's never been confirmed, but that, that was her fear, and that led her to start silent disaster which is became a you know local activist group to alert people to all these contaminated sites that by and large most people did not know about so late in 2015 the georgia department of public health said it could find no link among the children's cancer cases then the department said more investigation was required and soon after the federal agency for toxic substances and disease registry atsdr it's known as stepped in how far along are these agencies in their investigations and or what are their most recent findings the atsdr uh, agreed to 
look at two sites, the CSX Rice Yard and the former Consumers uh, Gas and Coke facility, which is now owned by Atlanta Gaslight. And I should say it's not there anymore. It, it was torn down, and it's just an empty lot now. But it's the ground it's that the they're ground, worried about. Right. It's the ground they're worried about. Uh, that site's about an acre. But so far, the, the feds and the state have finished their research into the CSX property, and they've determined that they can't find any link um, with the cancers. Now, what's next is they're working on the Atlanta Gaslight property. As I said, that property is an acre, whereas the railroad yard is 755 acres. Mm -hmm. So the concern for locals is much more about the railroad yard than it is that small Atlanta Gaslight site. That's my guest, Josh Sharp. He is a native of Waycross, Georgia. He's been reporting on the possible connection between industrial contamination and cancer in the southeast Georgia city. Dana Boyd-Barr is joining us now. She's professor of exposure science and environmental health at Emory University's Rollins School of Public Health. She's also worked at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for 23 years before that. Dana, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. So can scientists reliably determine if multiple people's cancers do come from one source? Well, cancer clusters are historically very difficult to evaluate. Um, for example, if you take a state that has, say, 50 or 5,000 census tracts, and you know there are 80 different cancers that people are investigating, you would expect to have just spuriously about 2,500 um, false positive cancer cluster cases. And so it's really difficult to evaluate. And then to link the exposure in a particular area to the cancer is also very difficult. So this here, if we're looking at... Waycross, Georgia. We have a number of chemicals there that are proven carcinogens that are present. I'm going to ask you to say what this is. PAH. It's polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. And how about TCE? Uh, trichloroethylene. So these are both chemical contaminants that have been found in Waycross, Ware County. What do we know about how they were used and their links to cancer? Well, PAHs are actually pervasive environmental contaminants, not just from industry, but also um, from traffic pollution, for example, and just any kind of air pollution. But when you have coke facilities or creosote facilities or manufacturing facilities, they're producing a lot of these chemical carcinogens. And, and they have been linked very strongly to cancers in workers of these plants. And so it's not unreasonable to think that they could be um, linked to cancer clusters in the area as well. How about TCE? TCE um, is commonly used as a dry cleaning agent. It's a volatile organic chemical, and a lot of volatile orga organic chemicals have been suspected to cause cancer, and they also cause a lot of neurological issues. Those are probably most commonly associated with them. But but yes, I mean, these are, are highly toxic chemicals, and concentrated doses, especially over a repeated period of time, could be quite concerning. And these were commonly used to degrease or clean metal parts after the war. We should note that CSX no longer uses the TCE, although it is used by others. Now, Dana, Josh writes that TCA remains a concern at the rice yard in Waycross because, as of the 2010 census, nearly 4,000 people lived within a one-mile radius of the railroad and more than 500 of them under six years old. And yet investigations yielded no evidence of a connection between contaminants and cancer in Waycross. 
Why is that link so difficult to prove? Well, here you have multiple chemicals, multiple sites, and then the cancers. It's hard to reconstruct what the dose or the individual exposure would be. And without having that individual exposure, it's really hard to link that individual chemical to a cancer. And so having this multi-chemical kind of cocktail mixture that they're exposed to does make it difficult to isolate one chemical exposure. Maybe it's the cocktail that's, that's the concern. I'm, I'm not quite sure. At the CDC, you develop methods for assessing human exposure to a variety of environmental uh, toxicants. So how do you as- assess someone's exposure? You know, what are you looking for when you're trying to assess the effects of the chemicals around a person? Well, um, some of the legacy chemicals like DDT and um, PCBs are much more easy to evaluate because they stick stay around in, in the, the body. Lung, right. Yeah, they stay in the body, they stay in the environment. And so reconstructing that dose is easy. Uh, when you have something that doesn't persist in the body, um, that just is transient in the body, you have to usually have repeated measures over time to try and link that to some health outcome. And that's the biggest limitation in environmental epidemiology is trying to establish that exposure, especially when these chemical exposures are transient. So how can people use knowledge of exposure or even potential exposure to protect themselves from getting sick? Um, trying to avoid any type of exposure so- sources, um, obviously advisable. Um, it, sometimes it's very limited given that you live in a certain area and you can't really control the exposures in the area. I think advocating for environmental change and for environmental cleanups is, is very important as well. But just overall trying to reduce your body burden to chemical exposure is important. So if you can reduce pesticide use, you can um, reduce uh, the mercury that you're getting in your fish or things like that, that would be um, something that would, would help promote better health. So, Josh, what do we know about this particular investigation process and how the agencies responsible for investigating reached their conclusions? Well, they examined historical data um, that CSX has been collecting for the past 30 years. And I should say, CSX took ownership of the property through a merger in the Mm mid-'80s. So much of this contamination happened before they were the owner. But in the mid-'80s, when they... After they took over, they agreed to put in a groundwater remediation system. And this consists of over 100 wells that are placed around the property and a system that basically sucks up contaminated groundwater, treats it, and then spits it back out. And this is to to clean the water over time. So as they've been doing this process, they've also been collecting data about how much contaminants are on the property and exactly where on the property they are. The big concern is that the contaminants will migrate off of the property in the groundwater. So CSX has all this data, and the ATSDR, in concert with Georgia health officials, spent more than a year examining this data to see, basically they were they wanted to, to answer two questions. Is the remediation system helping remediate the groundwater, and is it helping keep the contaminants on the site or not? Mm-hmm. They determined that the system has been, by and large, successful in keeping the contaminants off the site. So it's not leaching out into any other land, surrounding land or groundwater. That is a- according to their investigation. I'll say a lot of locals are concerned that the ATSDR and the state did not collect any new data. That they use CSX's they data. They use CSX's own data. So, Dana, based on Josh's description and what you know, did they go by the book? I mean, is this a, is this a thorough way to conduct this kind of investigation? I would say it's historical way to con- conduct this type of that investigation. And um, I think first they have to see what 
impact is there before they advise the collection of new data. Um, but I think collecting new data would have kind of answered the problem. We would answer whether it's contained or not contained, whether it's getting into the water systems or not. Um, I think certainly it's warranted if there's enough concern, and especially since the historic data was collected by the industry that's implicated here. So um, I can understand the suspicion of the, the residents regarding this. Would it be a part of an investigation? Would it be normal to interview people who have children or have been diagnosed with cancer? I, I think as an epidemiologic investigation, it would be normal. Um, when you're looking at an investigation on the government level, it, they have a lot of different criteria and regulations. And I think that what ATSDR has done is follow their guidelines and their rules for doing it. If you had an independent researcher, for example, an academic researcher that was coming in, that would probably be one of our first things to do would be to interview the residents. What would satisfy you uh, in, in this investigation? What do you think is needed to make a more, let's say, substantial conclusion? I really think that they need to collect new data to see if the old predictions are accurate, to see if the contamination is contained or not, or has been contained, to see if it's spread around. Anytime when you're talking about um, chemical contaminants being near any kind of water systems, they have the ability to travel and get into groundwater and to get into drinking water, and that's obviously of concern. So I think um, doing a current state of time investigation and how the exposure picture looks like in Waycross right now would be warranted, and I think it would help them to determine whether those interventions or mediations were indeed successful. Well, Dana Boyd-Barr, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Dana Boyd-Barr, Professor of Exposure Science and Environmental Health at Emory University's Rollins School of Public Health. And Josh Sharp, please stay with us. Josh is a reporter for the AJC. He spent the last three years covering a possible connection between contaminants and cancer in Waycross, Georgia. Just ahead, how a government investigation into contamination there has changed life in Waycross. Stay with us for more of On Second Thought. From Georgia Public Broadcasting, we're back with On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Why are so many people getting rare cancers in this small Georgia town? Well, that is the name of an article in Atlanta Magazine by my guest, Josh Sharp. He's also a crime reporter for the AJC. That small town is Waycross, Georgia, and he spent years covering the issue of contamination and the question of whether there is a cancer cluster in Waycross Ware County, a claim that state regulators say is not supported by evidence. Well, also with me is Christy Rice, a Waycross resident, and her daughter Lexi was one of four Waycross Ware County children diagnosed with a rare form of cancer back in 2015, and sadly she has passed away since then. Well, Christy, you said earlier that it has divided your neighborhood, but you did get a lot of support from your neighbors after the yes. diagnosis. Can you can you tell us a little bit about how they showed up for you? We have a wonderful community. It's tight-knit, you know, um, everybody, you know, you might not speak every day on a regular basis, but when it comes down to it, everybody's there for one another. Mm. When Lexi was sick, we had an outpouring of love and support, um, all different kinds from everywhere, and not just our community. We had surrounding counties, even people out of state, you know, people just come forward with support, you know, for, for her, so 
we're humbly grateful for that and always will be. Yeah, I understand that some of your neighbors actually surprised you by working on your house. Did I get that right? Oh, yes. Um, our house was kind of in shambles um, when we, Lexi first got sick. It's an old house. It was built in 1945. It's just an old house needed a lot of work, and we are not the kind of family that can afford to just do that work at one time. So we would do a little bit at the time, and we felt like we had all the time in the world to do it. We would, you know, get some money. We'd get a little bit of flooring and put it in and tear out a bathroom and work on a little bit at the time and wasn't really worried about the time frame. And um, she got sick, and it was a mess. Hmm. And uh, there were concerns about her coming back into the house because it was not put together like it should have been. Right. And it was such a mess. And um, we actually have a one-bedroom efficiency apartment that's hooked on our house that we rent out to help make the house payment before. And um, we actually, all five of us, squeezed into that little apartment until we could figure out what to do. And our community came together between... Um, Maddie's mission in our church, which was Swamp Road Baptist Church, they came together with hundreds and hundreds of volunteers from our community and redid our entire house. Oh, my goodness. That must have been an incredible moment. It's overwhelming. It's still overwhelming. It's, um, you know, that people you don't even know would come, you know, just come together and sacrifice their time, you know, money, effort for somebody they don't even know it's a wonderful thing it's very very heartwarming well you just heard us talking about the determination by town city state officials that there's no link between the contamination and the cancer rate in waycross you have other daughters are you satisfied with that determination i absolutely am not satisfied i wasn't sure in the beginning um very skeptical, not not sure what to believe, but after finding out, you know, what types of contamination are around, and I'm not satisfied with that. Um, like they mentioned before, we um, really are pushing for new testing. You know, we, we believe that there should be new testing done, and they should test for things that they haven't looked for before, certain types of radiation, things like that. Um uh, we just, I'm not happy with it at all. I, I don't think it's responsible to just go with the, the past data that they have. Have you considered moving? Uh, yes, I would. I would. I would move. If I had the opportunity to go, I would go. Mm-hmm. I really would. Josh, did you speak with people who are outright avoiding the canals? Sure. Actually, uh, the first day of reporting for this story three more than three years ago, what I did was uh, just sort of walked around and started to talk to people and ask them, you know, what they had heard. And I wanted to find out how much just random folks in town knew about the, the contamination. And one place that I went was um, a city park, and I started asking people. And I walked up to this woman uh, who was there with her young child, and I asked her, you know, what she knew about the contamination. She said she'd been hearing about it in the media a bit. And as we were talking, her child wandered off toward the canal, and she instantly called out to her, no, don't go near there, mm-hmm. you know. How about people who are not worried? Did you speak to them? 
Oh, sure. A lot, a lot of people just don't think there's anything there. And, you know, certainly they look to the government's determinations that they've made that, that they can't find a link, and they say, okay, we, well, we must be fine then. Well, and people have said, you know, we, we've lived here for generations, and this kind of thing hasn't popped up. But you actually went to the county clerk's office and found some evidence of, of something else. Can you tell us about that? Sure. I, as I do in the course of any story that in, that involves a business, I went to the county clerk's office to see if they had ever been sued or if there had ever been any sort of interesting actions uh, that could inform my reporting. And when I typed in CSX into this little terminal they have there, more pages than I remember came up of lawsuits against CSX. And a lot of them off the, to the side had one little one word in the list, and it said asbestos. I said, well, hmm, I wonder what that is. So I sort of just randomly picked a case number and gave it to a clerk who was working there and asked her if she could give me that lawsuit. I looked at it, and it said that this man named William Yon had worked for 40 years at the railroad and been exposed to asbestos in the course of his duties. And as a result, he was at the, they alleged that he was at a higher risk for cancer and respiratory issues. And then I kept looking through the file, and I found his death certificate. He had actually passed away after uh, after filing this lawsuit before anything happened with it. One of the causes was respiratory failure, as I remember. Mm. So when I saw that lawsuit, I wondered, well, are all of these other lawsuits that have asbestos next to, to them on the list the same thing? And I looked, and by and large, they were. There were people who had worked at the railroad yard who claimed that they, for decades, were exposed to asbestos and became sick because of it. And these were people who filed lawsuits before CSX had assumed control of the rail yard or after? They filed their lawsuits after CSX had taken control of the railroad yard. The lawsuit started in 1991, and they continued sort of an earnest through uh, the early 2000s, and you know some even are sporadically filed even today. Now, I believe you asked the editor of the local newspaper if they had been covered. Yes. Had they? Well, I asked him, uh, a man named Jack Williams, I asked him if he ever remembered covering this spate of lawsuits that was over 100 lawsuits against the railroad. And he told me he hadn't heard of a bunch of lawsuits, and he did not remember um, them covering them. And, and he'd been there. Um, as a matter of fact, he became the editor the same year the, lo- the lawsuit started. But he'd been there before then. His family had owned the paper for, for years. Well, I'm, I'm curious about uh, reconciling this image of a small, tight-knit town where people know each other and care about what's going on with each other, yet nobody seems to know that all of these lawsuits were filed against the major employer in town. You know, I can't speak for everyone, but... I talked to some of these former workers, and by and large, they didn't want they didn't want to talk about this. They were worried about sort of speaking out against this institution, and and, and I'm not I'm not suggesting that they thought they'd be retaliated against or anything, but essentially they didn't want to speak out against this institution because this institution is us. This institution is Waycross. This is what made us. This is what gave us all life. Even if you don't work there. Somewhere along the line, you have benefited from the railroad being there by virtue of simply being from this place. So they didn't want to go out talking trash against our 
cornerstone business. Some of them were very emotional. They, you know, were torn because they had these bad feelings because they felt like they had been made sick by the, by working at the railroad. But at the same time, they felt, they seemed to feel this sort of duty to not go out publicly and talk about that. Mm. That's Josh Sharp. He is a reporter for the AJC, but also wrote for Atlanta Magazine about why so many people are getting rare cancers in the small Georgia town of Waycross, Georgia. Also with me, Christy Rice, a, a resident there who lost her daughter, Lexi, to one of the rare cancers that was diagnosed in the area. How about the media? Is it covering the cases, the reporting, and the public debate that has been raised around this small rare cancers findings in Waycross now? Um, the local newspaper has covered the, the debate now. Um, back in, I believe it was 2013, they published a story uh, about concerns of contamination in the canals after Joan Tiber of Silent Disaster approached the editor, Jack Williams. They also have you know reported that the investigation was going to happen. They reported um, at various stages. Now, one thing that upset a lot of people is that after the ATSDR said they would come and investigate, but before they actually started investigating, the newspaper ran an editorial saying, literally, there is no such thing as a cancer cluster in Waycross. Making that declaration before it had even been investigated, you mean? Right. Making that declaration before it had been investigated. Huh. Now... I'll say the state had already made some determinations and already said they couldn't find a link, but now the feds were coming in. So a lot of people were upset that the newspaper would make that declaration when this clearly wasn't over. Yeah. Well, so for you, there are a number of different things at play here. I mean, this is the town where you grew up. This is the town that you left to go and find something else for yourself. And obviously a town that's trying its best to revitalize and bring people back. But there's another element here that you lost your mom to cancer. Uh, I did. When you were a young man. So does everybody in Waycross know somebody who died of cancer? Uh, I would say that's not a, not a stretch, certainly not. But, you know, uh, you know, cancer is something that affects most all people. You know, it's the second leading cause of death in, in, in America. Um, and part of that is that we just, we, we just don't understand it for the most part. And that is kind of at the core of this situation in Waycross. At the end of the day, people are trying to figure out why they got cancers, and especially why they got these rare cancers. And like you say, my mother was a person who got a rare cancer. Uh, my mother had ocular melanoma, essentially that's skin cancer in the eye. Mm. It's diagnosed in only about 2,500 Americans every year. She was diagnosed with it... Um, I believe it was about a month or two after my father passed away from a heart attack in 2008. And we didn't know why she got it, and I don't really even remember thinking much about why she got it at the time. We didn't know about, you know, the environmental contamination in, in Waycross, so we certainly didn't discuss it. But this was in 2008 when she was diagnosed, and then she had a radiation treatment down in Jacksonville, Florida, that took about five days, and then... It was successful, and they said, if you, if um, well, if you make it five years without it coming back, then you're probably in the clear. Um, right about four years later, it did come back, and it was in her liver, mm. and um, she ended up making it. Uh, it was only weeks before she passed away. I'm so sorry. 
but you know, it's one thing to understand all of this as a journalist. You've been reporting on this case for a long time and very thoroughly. It's from the sounds of it, but it's another as a son who lost his mom to cancer and a mom who was a great booster of the town. You know, she said she was absolutely active. If you were talking to her now, would she be in the don't say bad things about Waycross kind of side or the, boy, we better tell people what's going on. What do you think? I think she would see both sides of it. She loved Waycross and she taught me and my brother to love Waycross. My dad did the same thing. We were proud, still are proud of of our hometown. And I don't think that that mom would want to see Waycross's reputation hurt. But at the same time, I know that she hated cancer more than she loved Waycross. She did not want to die. So as much as she loved and believed in Waycross, this place that she was from, this place that she you know, could tell you every great attribute about, she would want answers to this. Yeah. She would want she would want an investigation. She would want to believe that it was thoroughly done. Christy, how about for you? Seeing your young daughters now, are you fearful that something could happen to them? Yes, we are. It's um it's very nerve wracking. Anytime one of them has a crazy symptom or, you know, even a repeated symptom, I get physically sick to my stomach. I mean, it's that nerve-wracking. You wonder, is this it? You know, what? even waiting in a doctor's office just for a checkup is nerve-wracking. You know, I never, ever thought that one of my children would have cancer, you know, and after going through it, the fear for the other two is strong. Right, and I, I would imagine that, you know, the, the urge to know why is very big. You want to know why. It is very much so. Um, I don't wish, you know, or just hope, you know, that they find that there's something terribly causing the cancers and linking them to each other. We just want to know. We we want to, the facts we want to know. You know, we, we want the testing to be done. We want to know. We We believe that we deserve that much. And so does everybody else that lives here. Christy, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you guys for having me. And Josh Sharp, a journalist and Waycross native, thank you so much for for your reporting on this story. Thanks for having me. Josh has been investigating the story in Waycross, Georgia for three years, and he wrote about it for Atlanta Magazine. We'll put a link to that article for you to look at it for yourself at gpbnews.org. On Second Thought is produced by Amelia Brock, Leighton Rowell, the Raven Taylor, and Jake Troyer. Jesse Nicewanger is our engineer. Our intern is Allison Kraussman. Don Smith is our Dean of Grammar. Amy Kiley is senior producer. And Sarah Shariari is managing editor for GPB News. I'm Virginia Prescott. Have a beautiful weekend. We'll be back on Monday with more of On Second Thought. <laughs>